0: We do turn up uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and um, Claire is going to come and uh, read it for us. After Claire's um, read it for us, it'll be over to Adam. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4 starting at
1: verse 8. 18. If you have one of these church Bibles, it's page 1147. <coughs> Some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit, As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers, or idolaters, (coughs) In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you.
0: Thanks very much, Claire. Well, do keep your Bibles open uh, as we walk through that passage together this morning. Uh, Let me just pray, if I can get my staple out, and uh, ask God for his help as we look at this passage. Father God, we thank you as always for your word, uh, which comes to us in power and might. We pray, Lord, this morning that you would help us to listen, you'd help us to understand what you want us to hear, and we ask, uh, Lord, that you would give us direction this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now you might not know this, but I was born in Windsor. You might not know this, but I was actually born in a hospital just up the road from Windsor, still in the Royal Borough, in Ascot, home of Royal Racing. Now you might not know this, but outside, uh, uh, outside my classroom window, did I mention at Windsor Boys' School, We can see Windsor Castle, outside the classroom, I'm not joking. The home of the royal family. Now did you know I've had lunch at Sam Williamson's house? (laughs) Did you know I can use Tim Guest's toilet whenever I want to? (laughs) Now how long would it be, seriously, before you told me, Adam, stop being arrogant. We don't want to hear all that stuff. We don't want to hear about your life this morning. We want to hear about Jesus. We want to hear about what the Lord has got to say to us. Now, some of you know me quite well in here, and you maybe might be embarrassed by what I'm saying and just have a silent whisper and a snigger to the person next to you and not actually tell me, Adam, you're being arrogant. Whereas maybe some people who are new to the church might feel confident to stand up and say, just stop, just stop. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, this morning as we look at our sermon series in 1 Corinthians, we're looking at the end of chapter 4 and going into chapter 5. And at the end of 4, Paul is saying to these Corinthians, you are being arrogant. I've heard, you're being arrogant, you're being boastful. And he's writing this next part of the letter to challenge them about their arrogance and their spiritual pride. Look down at verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 18. Some of you, Paul says, in the church, have become arrogant as if I was not coming to visit you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I'll find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but by what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. You see that? The kingdom of God is not about talk, puffing yourself up, talking the talk. It's about power and action. Now, if we remind ourselves of the facts here, Paul planted this church in Corinth. uh, He spent 18 months planting this church building it up, establishing it, and then he moved off. And as he's away from Corinth, he now hears all these issues that have engulfed the church. Quarrelling, division, disunity. And ahead of his visit, he sent Timothy to the church to show them how to live for Jesus. And so these people are arrogant. What, you're sending Timothy? You're not coming on your own, Paul? What, are you weak? That's a serious charge, isn't it? These issues have been ongoing in the church. The people have failed to live according to the spiritual truth that Paul has taught them. They're they're failing, actually, to live with Jesus at the centre of their lives. And so this is the challenge this morning. Paul is determined to pay the church a visit. I am coming, Lord willing, and I will come and speak to you. Now, I want you to listen and think about the tone in this letter. As we look at verse 21, Paul says, What do you prefer? Shall I come at you, shall I come at, shall I come, sorry, my notes, with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love with a gentle spirit? You see, Paul is giving the church a choice. It's not an option, which do you prefer? He's saying, Sort out your church, sort out these issues, or I will come to you with a rod of discipline. Sort it out. Imagine how that would feel if Paul was writing to uh, Grace Church. I've heard about these issues in Grace Church. I've heard what your elders are doing. I've heard what your church members are doing. Sort it out, or I will come to you with a rod of discipline. Now, as I was preparing this, I was thinking, hmm, what example can I give of that? And I was thinking straight back to school. I'm not boasting about my school, but I was thinking about school. And I wonder if you can think about this example. Do you ever remember being in school and you had a supply teacher? come to take your lesson. Now some of you think, oh, supply teacher coming to take the lesson. And, quite rightly, no, sorry, wrongly, for that hour, we would give that supply teacher absolute hell. Okay? No listening, talking amongst ourselves, being naughty, being disobedient. After being a teacher myself, I know what that feels like. It's horrible. But still, we did it, and we didn't care, and we thought we'd got away with it. But then a few days later, what would happen the whole class would be hauled in front of our own teacher and the head of year or the head teacher and be given a complete dressing down. How dare you? What do you think you're doing? The consequences are you need to apologise to that teacher or if you don't, if you choose to misbehave, next lesson we're copying out textbooks for the whole lesson. How boring. And yet, you know, Paul is giving this ultimatum, isn't he? Do this or this will happen. Maybe in your workplace you've had a similar thing. Uh, This needs to be done or this trade won't take place. Meet this deadline or it's going to impact your appraisal targets. Don't think about that for too long. So back to Paul's warning. Sort these areas of church discipline out before I come to you. If you do, I will come to you with with love and a gentle, forgiving spirit. If you don't, you know what's going to happen. Now, we ask ourselves, does Paul delight in being scary? Does Paul like sounding harsh? Well, if you glance back to chapter 4, verse 14, he says this. I'm writing these things not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. You see, Paul loves the church. They're his people, his adopted family. He's a member of the body of Christ, which church is. So he's not writing to shame or humiliate them, but to warn them in love. The consequences, Jesus says, of continued disobedience are eternally significant. This is not just a telling off with the head teacher. This is eternal. So Paul is acting like a loving father, teaching his children right and wrong. If you're a parent here this morning, you'll know uh, how important it is to teach your children right from wrong. And if you're a child here, you're probably thinking to yourself, yeah, I don't like being told what to do by my parents. But actually we need to trust our parents because they ultimately know what's good for us if they're following the Lord. So Paul knows he's got this responsibility to the church, to warn them, to build them up in love. And last week Sam explained to us what the uh, responsibilities were of a Christian leader. Teaching what the Bible says clearly, walking us through the text, encouraging and building up the church in love, whilst warning of danger. And that's exactly what Paul is doing as he writes this letter. Now, chapter 5, verse 1 to 2, it says this. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Picture this scene for a moment. Paul, sitting at his desk in the morning, having his coffee, reading through all the latest church reports, and he picks one up, and it says, Corinth... Oh, that's strange. It's got a post-it note on it saying, urgent. As he reads through the report, it becomes apparent of the terrible things that are going on in the Corinthian church. His heart sinks, blood boiling, outraged. You can imagine just throwing his coffee or spilling his coffee all, all over the place as he reads this report. What? This is absolutely shocking, actually, isn't it? Whether you're a believer this morning or not, a case of incest in the church is absolutely outrageous. A member of the church is sleeping with his stepmother. Now in Old Testament law, the punishment for that was being burnt alive. And even under Roman law, which the Corinthians are living under, it was forbidden to do such things. But notice in this text that Paul doesn't explain the what, where, when, why and how this happened. And actually, so it's wise for us this morning not to go into this sin, not to know the details. It's safer for us not to go there. What we do know is that this goes against the design and blessing that God has given for relationships and sex. And Paul points out to them that what they're proud of is not even tolerated by unbelievers. Despite living in a city, the city of Corinth, which was uh, surrounded by rampant immorality. I nearly said immortality, but I reminded myself not to and I've just said it anyway. But anyway, you know what I'm talking about? Absolutely rampant around them. No morals. No morals. And the church is a beacon of light surrounded by this. Now, we don't know much about this man. We know he's a church member, and he's proud, and he's boasting, as if he's actually achieved something. Who he was, we aren't told, but the man's background suggests maybe that he's a man with status and power. He's come from the outside the Corinth church. He's come into the Corinthian church. Maybe it's something to do with a sense of... uh, distorted sexual uh, orientation, it's a sad fact that even in our day, the rich and powerful seem to get away with sexual sin, isn't it? And we just have to look on the news and see that. And sadly, we can easily find that in our culture today, that people love to push the boundaries. People love to do the latest thing, not just the younger generation, but people love to think that they have done uh, something that no one else has ever done. Look at me, I've got more likes on social media, I've got more followers, I've got more people copying me on YouTube. I'm becoming really famous, I'm really popular. Everyone knows me for this thing that no one else has done before. I mean, even us, we can become arrogant thinking that we know better than our parents and our grandparents before us. I know I definitely can be accused of that. And sadly, as Christians, we're not always immune to these temptations of doing the latest things. But we need to be on our guard, don't we? God actually puts boundaries around us, tells us what is good in life and what's not good. And he does that for a reason, because he knows what's good for his children. Now, as I said before, uh, the church is a beacon of light in the city of Corinth, surrounded by um, corruption. Knowledge, wisdom, sex, pleasure, and power were the status symbols of the day. Everyone wanted those qualities. But the danger is that this sin of this one man that's creeped inside the church could cause others to follow his example, couldn't it? And what does Paul say? Paul says, absolutely not. This church is not going to slip into worldly behaviour. This sin is not going to go unchallenged. And so now Paul goes into detail about what should happen to the man caught in this trap of unrepentant sin. Look at the language he uses in chapter 5. Firstly, in the second half of verse 2, Paul says the church should be in mourning and put out the guilty man. Then verse 5, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Then verse 9 and 11, do not associate with anyone who is sexually immoral. Verse 13, expel the wicked person. Paul is adamant the whole church should be in a state of mourning. Mourning is a really strong word. And I know this morning that some of our brothers and sisters in this church are in mourning at the moment and we're praying for you. But this feeling, as Paul is using this word, is sad and it's intensely painful. So he's deliberately using this serious word to convey the depth to which this church has uh, sunk and should now act. Instead of boasting, this church should be uh, bowing their heads in sorrow and regret. Paul wants everyone in the church to be clear. Boasting about this or any other sin is absolutely forbidden for Christians. Now you might be thinking, well, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? Well, it's obvious. The reason is it goes against every reason for the church's existence. What is the church? I mean, that's a good question, isn't it? I wonder if I handed out a piece of paper now and said in uh, 25 words, could you write down what the church is? I wonder how many of us would get it right. I mean, we use this word all the time. Don't worry, there's no test this morning. But seeing as I'm your teacher here, I thought uh, I should actually give you the answer so you get an A star in any test. Grace Church is a gathering of those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Who are committed to meeting up regularly for worship, serving, teaching, fellowship and prayer. And who help make disciples of all people. It's a a place that should be safe, a place that's full of love, a place that's full of restoration. The church, described in the Bible, is the body of Christ. Christ is the head of the body, and we are the parts of the body, helping to function and make it work. In chapter 3, verse 11, Paul said that the foundation of every church is Jesus Christ. And in Colossians, chapter 1, verses 13 to 14, Paul writes these words. For he, that is God, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So you see that God has rescued us, all of us in this room, if you call yourself a Christian, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into light, transferred us from the darkness into the kingdom of his son. So think about the Corinth church as I say that. These people in Corinth have been removed from the darkness and transferred into the kingdom of Jesus. We are now in the kingdom of God. And that means we can rejoice because we have a new life in Jesus. We have absolute freedom. The Bible says that Jesus died on the cross to save us, save us from our sin, save us from hell and an eternity without knowing him, save us from our own selfishness, Our own anger, pride, arrogance, boasting, jealousy and evil. The list goes on and on and on. God has moved us from darkness to light. And it keeps getting better. In Jesus, we've been given every spiritual blessing. Through his spirit, we gain understanding of who God is. We have love, joy, peace, patience and self-control. Through faith, we've been brought into God's family adopted as sons and daughters, fellow heirs with Christ. And as Christians, we have the opportunity to repent of our sin and constantly turn back to God. So, if we understand what the church is and its importance as God's kingdom on earth, we can understand the seriousness of this man and this church boasting in unrepentant sin. And therefore, we can understand Paul's absolute desperation and exasperation reading this report about the church in Corinth. Why, after receiving all of God's blessings, would you want to be doing and celebrating this act? Why would the church be proud? If the church tolerates any sin, especially sin that unbelievers condemn, then it undermines the church, it undermines Grace Church, and more importantly, Jesus is witness to the world. The church should be bringing glory and honour to God and winning respect from society around us, the community around us. So being unrepentant is like being freed from prison and then deciding, instead of having our freedom, we'll go back into the prison and shut the door. Chapter 5, verse 5, Paul says the unrepentant man is to be removed and handed over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so his soul may be saved. Now again, that's quite strong words there, and we think, what does Paul mean by that? Should this man be executed? Should he be taken outside the church and burned with fire, as the Old Testament says? Well, no. Paul is saying that the man should be removed from the church community and put back into the world, back into the society of Corinth where Satan reigns. Satan reigns over darkness. Paul's judgment is clear and he speaks with the power of the Lord Jesus when he says, the man is not acting as a Christian should, he's unrepentant of his sin. I want to emphasise that, he's unrepentant of his sin. He's not saying he's a sinful man, get rid of him, because none of us would be in church then. He's saying this man is unrepentant of his sin. Paul's not saying, take this man out and burn him. He's not saying take him out and put him in prison. He's saying, and he knows, that by removing him from the whole church community, he may have a chance to come to his senses. He may have a chance to repent and be restored back to God. Isn't it amazing that God can even use Satan to bring people to a place of repentance? Now back in the Old Testament, the beginning of their journey to freedom God gave the nation of Israel, his chosen people, a special meal to teach them that they were to be distinct from those around them. They weren't like to be like the rest of the world. They were to be holy and save for God. Uh, they were to be God's holy people. Uh, and so, if you look down at verses 6 to 8, it says, Paul says, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens, leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, you may not be familiar with the Passover festival, or the bread that Paul is talking about, but I want you to think about these examples this morning. The church is called to be holy and pure, set apart from the world around us. Now you can imagine, oh, my glass of water there, imagine the water is pure, I don't know if it is, but imagine it is, and it represents the church. If I took some red dye, you yeah, I prepared earlier, no I didn't, but if I took some red dye and dropped it in the glass, what would happen to the water? Well, very quickly, that dye would spread through the whole of the water, and I wouldn't be able to remove it. There might be some scientists who know how to do that, but I don't. So it would spread, and it would infect the whole of the water within seconds. And this is the nature and power of sin in our lives, which Paul is emphasising. Or imagine rust on your bike. If you leave your bike outside, uh, in the cold and the wet, the rush soon starts to eat away at your bike, and it leads to expensive repairs. Some of us will know what that feels like. But that is the same. Whether it's water, tainted water, mould, rust, whatever... It has to be dealt with. It has to be cut out before it infects the rest of uh, the object or bike. And that is what Paul is saying. The church must be pure and blameless. No sin can come into the church that we boast about because it will ruin the whole church. And that is why Paul goes even further by warning the Christians they're not to associate, even associate with anyone who claims to be a Christian but is living in unrepentant sin. That is a hard teaching, isn't it? you imagine someone at Grace Church living in unrepentant sin and us having to ask them to leave? But Paul says this because he knows that even a hint of unrepentant or boastful sin can cause others to stumble. So therefore the sin, malice and wickedness, to use Paul's words, must be dealt with immediately, cut out of the church, to allow healing in the church, wholesomeness, restoration. Now, I don't think we're given this example in Corinth, so we can walk out today and think, whew, he sure sorted those Corinthians out, didn't he? Oh, that was good. No, actually, I think it's written here, like the rest of the Bible, to uh, challenge our thinking too. So I want us to think for a moment about Grace Church, and are there things in this church that we tolerate? Are there things that we have become arrogant and spiritually prideful about? Are there certain things we laugh off because everyone's doing it? The author, Jerry Bridges, calls these sins respectable sins. Everyone's doing these respectable sins, and we often focus on the major sins that are going on, and forget about the subtle sins. Jealousy, anger, pride, unthankfulness, judging others. Well, Sam and I were thinking this week about what sins are on the verge of accepting at church. These are some of the things I was thinking about. Our sinful attitude to other Christians and other denominations. So often we think, well, we're at Grace Church, we've got the best form of the truth. Not like those guys down the road. What about prioritising work, sport, or social activities over our family commitments? What about crude humour or watching popular TV shows that have nudity and violence in them and we come into church on a Sunday morning and say, hey, did you watch the Lotus episode of X, Y, or Z? Not thinking, not realising that these are actually contrary to the goodness that God wants for our lives. What about thinking we're better than other people, especially as uneducated people down in Sutton? We're so much better than that. <laughs> <laughs> laughing in the comments. Sam, are you laughing? <laughs> As a church, we're called to be godly, not worldly, and we're also not to judge those outside the church. Christians all over the world are united under Jesus. We can often fall into prideful sin in this area, can't we? If we look at non Christians, our friends, our family, colleagues, and neighbours, we can so easily feel better about ourselves by saying, Look at them. They're not being godly, are they? The way they speak, that's not holy. Well, the thing is, Paul addresses that in this passage, doesn't he? Uh, If you look at the bottom, verses 9 onwards, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. Um, If you go to 12, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? What business is it of us as Christians to judge those outside the church? Well, they don't know Jesus. They don't know what sin is. So how can we hold them to account against the holiness that we are trying to live with in Jesus? We can't. So Paul says, those people outside the church, God will judge. Leave it to God. We're not God. But we are called to judge others in our church if they are unrepentant in their sin. We're not to get distracted, Paul says. Do not get distracted. Repent as a whole church. Exercise discipline, and keep Jesus at the very centre of your lives. Now, as Christians, you might be thinking there, thinking, well, uh, well, we are still susceptible to sin. Are you saying that, you know, sin shouldn't have any place in our lives? Yeah, I am saying sin shouldn't have any place in your lives. But we know this. That sin no longer reigns over our hearts but it does remain in our lives and all of our lives we will be fighting against its power for as long as we live. So let me say to you today, if you're sitting here struggling with sin and doing battle against it, you're actually in the right place. If you're struggling with sin, or sorry, if you're not struggling with sin, then I need to urge you to review whether you've become arrogant or content in your attitude towards sin. Or godlessness? And I wonder, are we confident to say to members of our church family, hey, I think you should stop doing that? And I wonder how we would react if people have said to us, hey Adam, I think you should stop doing whatever you're doing, that behaviour. Actually, it's not godly. How do we react to that? Prideful or Accepting. See, church should be a place that people can come to to be built up, encouraged, restored. A place where we can walk in with our church family and walk through with our church family people's trials, people's sufferings together and encourage them with the hope we have in Jesus. A place where we know that people need help rather than a place we walk into and pretend everything's all right in my life. We are blessed at Grace Church to have Sunday services, Midweek Bible groups, social time together, prayer and accountability partners. And all these things we have because of the power of God in our lives, the gifts that God has given us through His Spirit. And as such, we can be people that are known for our humility and repentance. Should we pray together? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for. Uh, this letter to the Corinthians, Lord, we thank you for teaching us uh, through the Apostle Paul uh, what should and shouldn't be done in regard to unrepentant sin. We pray, Lord, that as a church you would help us to be bold, to be confident, to approach people in love, uh, to help them in their sin. We pray, Lord, that people would know uh, that you are loving, you are forgiving, you are kind, you want people to come back to you. Please help us do this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.